WDBM East Lansing. The impact. You're listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, this is Impact Exposure. Tune into Exposure, Michigan State's student-run news program here live on Impact 89 FM. I'm your host, Daniel Rizal. We'll start off the show tonight with an interview with Sustainable Spartans, the new smart table here at Michigan State University. We'll then go to a feature done by myself on the new bee colonies at Bailey Hall. From there, we'll sit down with the president of the Graduate Employees Union. And from there, we go to an interview with the Outdoors Club, discuss some summer plans, as well as an update on hammocking on MSU's campus. We'll go to a feature on finals week, appropriate for what's going on at MSU this week, done by Quinn Hoffman. Then we'll go to another feature done by Audrey Matus, a special surprise on something new with her later in the show today called Narrating a New Normal. And we'll close off the show tonight with a special edition of Michigan Storytellers as seniors take a retrospective look at their time here at Impact 89 FM. There is no Impact update this week, unfortunately, due to all of our news teamers working hard to study for those finals. Once again, we'll be starting off the show tonight with our interview with the president of Sustainable Spartans, Allison Montambo. You're tuned into Exposure here on Impact 89 FM. I'm your host, Dana Rizal, and I'm here with Allison Montambo, the president of Sustainable Spartans. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. And uh, let's just start off with a, an introduction about yourself. All right. Um, my name is Allison Montambo. I am a junior studying environmental studies and sustainability. I got involved with Sustainable Spartans during my freshman year when it was first taken off. Um, we've had a lot of names since then, but uh, I would consider it the best thing that I've ever done going into college. Um, it's really put some great opportunities forward. So it's been around for a, a few years now then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and how did it first get started? So we got started in 2012. Um, we had a few seniors that got started under the name student-led clean energy working group, which turned out to be too much of a mouthful. Yeah, that's a bit much there. <laughs> <laughs> we then switched to Sustainable Energy Institute, which turned out to be a real organization, so we couldn't <laughs> do that. And then uh, eventually settled on Sustainable Spartans. All right. And uh, how many members do you have in the group? Uh, it fluctuates in the beginning of the year. Uh, right after his participation, we might have 50 members, but... We have about um, 15 to 20, you know, kind of solid people we can depend on every week. Mm-hmm. And uh, so recently you have a, it's called a smart table, right? That's mm-hmm. recently been saw on campus. So well, what's it about? What is a, a smart table? So it's called the Mini Evoda Smart Table. And um, it's manufactured by a company out of Phoenix called Soul Green Solutions. Um, they kind of walked us through the process of getting it installed it uses a photovoltaic cell to power four 110-volt outlets. So you can go out there, you can charge your phone, you can charge your laptop. Uh, it's completely off the grid. It even has a rain detection system. So if you're out there and it starts pouring, it's not going to short-circuit whatever you're working with. Hmm. Um, we thought it would be a great way for students to get out there and study and not you know, be hooked up to you know the wall circuits and maybe spend a little bit more time outside. Mm-hmm. So is there just one of these on campus right now? There is now. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of our pilot project. We wanted to see how people would like it, see if there's any issues with it. Um, because the company is based out of Phoenix, they couldn't completely guarantee how well it's going to work in the winter, so there might be a little bit more maintenance. So we kind of want to figure that out before we go forward. Mm-hmm. And, and where, where is it currently located? Uh, it's located in the courtyard by South Neighborhood, kind mm-hmm. of outside the Case Cafeteria. And uh, what? And it, why did South Neighborhood get to be the lucky na- neighborhood? You know, why, <laughs> why did they? Why did they end up with? It? Was there any reason behind that, or is it just pure um, luck? It was kind of a combination between where our students are going to get the most use out of it. So you know, Case is a huge cafeteria. There's a lot of traffic, and then also um, what the best area for infrastructure is going to be. So. In order to install it, there needs to be a concrete slab. There was already a concrete slab in South Neighborhood, so that kind of saved us some money. We don't have to go in with, you know, pouring concrete and getting a lot of 
contractors involved and everything. It was mm-hmm. just easier. Sure. And uh, so, uh, you know, let's say that it, the table works well throughout the winter. And, uh, you know, are we going to see more of these on campus in the future, maybe in every neighborhood? Or what, what's kind of the, the, the bigger plan for this? It's definitely something we're going to try to push for. Um, we got our funding through the Office of Campus Sustainability uh, through the B Spartan Green um, grant program. So the people over at Office of Campus Sustainability have been really supportive of the project. Um, they've given us a lot of direction going through it. it. took about nine months to complete the initial one, getting all of the paperwork done. So we think they've put a lot of time into it. We've put a lot of time into it. So hopefully it's something we can see more of. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you know if students have been responding to it yet? Have you been getting some feedback from you know, students using the table? Yeah, even the first day that we were getting it installed, we had a little ribbon cutting ceremony, and uh, it felt kind of bad because we actually had to ask people to stop using it so we could get pictures <laughs> of it and cut the ribbon. So we think that's a good sign. Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, so uh, aside from the the table and just back onto sustainable Spartans in general, um, what kind of I guess future initiatives are you going to be pushing with the club? So originally, when sustainable Spartans got started, it was just focused on clean energy and helping Michigan State with its energy transition plan towards 100% renewables. But over the past maybe year and a half, we've really expanded to food systems, water sustainability, um, and that kind of drove a project that's still in the works. Um, It's been going for a while, but we've been talking to the administration from Sparty's about trying to get more sustainably packaged and local products as part of the combo exchange. Uh, we think that's something really important because, you know, so many people living on campus have meal plans and use the combo exchange, but the options that are being offered aren't necessarily the most environmentally conscious. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so aside from, you know, the initiatives that you'll be pushing, are there going to be any sort of, uh, I guess, events or um, or like organizations to uh, promote the club or like to kind of reel in some new uh, volunteer members or what's, I guess, yeah, just in general, are there any events that you plan on hosting in the future? Uh, we'll definitely be at Sparticipation. We've done that every year. We also just had our annual Earth Day event, so you might have seen us out at The Rock. We hand out free plants every day or uh, all day with our contact information, hopefully to get people to, you know, show up at the next year. But it's going to be kind of a down period over the summer. We use it to just, like, recoup <laughs> from everything that goes on. But we're planning some movie showings for the fall, hopefully getting some documentaries shown on campus and just kind of bringing people out. Mm-hmm. And um, do you collaborate at all with any of the other environmental-based groups, like Fisheries and Wildlife, for example? Yeah, so we've worked with USGBC, uh, U.S. Green Building Council, on their Campus Conservation Nationals event a few times. Um, we are also in close contact with Greenpeace. This Over this past year, we've really tried to branch out, you know, expanding our connections with the other environmental organizations on campus. It actually kind of worked kind of funny because uh, a few of the ones we've been in contact, we all meet at the same time. So <laughs> we can't really go to each other's meetings and it kind of divides, you know, the people we're pulling in. So that's something we're going to try to work on in the future is, you know, getting better communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this coming fall, if there are any students... Uh, that'd be interested in joining uh, Sustainable Spartans, uh, where can they go to? Uh, We have a Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Sustainable Spartans, where you can get more information on events we've got coming up, just things we're working on. Uh, We also have a Twitter account, um, at Sustain Spartans. Sustainable Spartans was too long. So (laughs) if you want to follow that, we post um, meeting times, just, you know, general updates. So it's pretty easy to stay informed. Great. And, uh, you know, uh, just one last question here. What, what's kind of the, I guess, the, the the majors demographic that you're kind of seeing in your club? Is it mostly environmental-based majors that you're seeing jo- joining? Are there some maybe engineering or just some people that are just completely unrelated <laughs> to environmental practices? Like, what, what are you kind of seeing major-wise in the group? We're actually a pretty diverse group. Um, we are heavy on the environmental science and environmental engineering majors, but We've got a physics major, we've got communications majors, hospitality business. Um, we're not looking for anything in particular, just a passion for the environment and trying to make a difference. Great. The president of Sustainable Spartans. Thank you for coming in today. Yeah, thanks for having me. You can find us on Twitter at impact underscore exposure. Where you can follow us to keep up to date with everything that we do here for this news program. 
Up next, we have a feature that I did on the MSU Bee Colonies that we have over at Bailey Hall now, uh, run by the MSU Bee Team. I uh, first heard about this when Alexis Hinson came onto the show uh, two, three weeks ago, maybe a little more now, for a student organic farm interview. And uh, from there, I became attracted to the this idea of the story of having bee colonies right on campus. And uh, it took me right into this feature. Michigan State's Bailey Hall is abuzz as its 28,000 new residents begin to settle in. Two bee colonies are now living on the roof of Bailey Hall under the care of student beekeepers from the MSU Bee Club, like senior Alexis Hinson and freshman Sierra Barfield. About 10 months ago, Hinson wrote a grant to the Office of Campus Sustainability to begin beekeeping on the green roof of Bailey Organic Farm, an extension of the Student Organic Farm. The new colonies are more accessible to on-campus students, allowing them to suit up and get hands-on experience with beekeeping. Now that the opportunity has expanded to campus, Hinson hopes that students will begin to let go of their misconceptions about honeybees. That's what these hives are really going to be offering, um, as well as education to a lot of community members that might not know a lot about honeybees, the difference between honeybees and wasps and hornets and things. We've got a lot of students that have um, students and faculty that have questions, well, you know, what if I get stung or something like that? And a lot of people don't understand that you, honeybees aren't the ones that are stinging people. They're not really interested in you. They go and forage up to four miles a day for food, go, want to go to flowers and um, different plants that are, there are, you know, most important pollinators out there. And those, you know, they're not the wasps and hornets that are making nests in the corner of your garage or, you know, going for your garbage or going for your food. Sierra Barfield, an environmental biology and zoology major who will be taking the lead on the project this coming fall, said that students from all walks of life are welcome to get involved with beekeeping at Bailey Hall. I have a few friends that are like accounting majors and just want to try beekeeping or their parents are beekeepers and they've wanted to go into it but have kind of been afraid. Um, but yeah, anybody is welcome. Until flowers begin to fully bloom in the area, the bees are using sugar water to produce their honey. In a year's time, the colonies are expected to become self-sufficient in producing honey, which will provide opportunities for the group to sell the product, as Hinson shared. Um, we won't be selling a lot this year, just because the first year you don't get a lot of honey from a hive, but after that we should be able to sell some to our resident or our residence hall or dining halls, um, and we have chefs that are really interested in using it, or at farm stand, or to rise students. There's a lot of possibilities there. And that sounds pretty sweet to me. For Impact News, I'm Daniel Rizal. That mean old bumblebee can't take a pee. I'm scratching on that old bumblebee. Scratching still, I'm scratching on that Up next, we have our interview with the president of the Graduate Employees Union, Sylvia Marquise. You're tuned into Exposure here on Impact 89 FM. I'm your host, Daniel Rizal, and I'm here today with Sylvia Marquise, the president of the Graduate Employees Union. How are you today? I'm fine, thanks. And uh, let's just uh, start off with an introduction about yourself. Sure. Um, I am a sixth-year doctoral candidate in the Department of History here at MSU. I've been involved with the Graduate Employees Union for about five years. Initially, I was a steward, and then I became information officer, and now I'm the president. Mm -hmm. And uh, so last Friday, there was a protest. And uh, what, what was that about? Right. So last Friday, we held a march around campus that culminated in a rally outside of Hannah. We wanted to raise attention to the fact that we are in contract negotiations. The Graduate Employees Union has been around since about 2001, and since that time, we have negotiated a, a series of better and better contracts for our members. Um, we've secured benefits and protections that we didn't have before. And this is, um, we are at it again. Uh, we've been at the negotiating table since January. And um, we wanted to draw attention to the fact that some of the really basic benefits and protections that we feel are necessary for our teaching assistants to do their jobs um, are encountering some resistance at the bargaining table. So for instance, um, our health insurance, which is all right now, it was unilaterally changed over the summer by the administration. Um, so it's a little, it's not as great as it has been in the past. 
But the administration wants to remove dependent subsidies, meaning that students, graduate students with with children would not get a subsidy to ensure their dependence. When you make that little and you need to ensure a child, it's it's not an option, right? Um, we also have been um, talking about our tuition waiver, which is something that is um, common for teaching assistants. It's common for teaching assistants to have a tuition waiver. It is industry standard. Any um, good research one institution gives their teaching assistants a tuition waiver. And MSU wants to decrease the number of credits that are covered by that waiver. So um, we've, from our research and our, um, well, what, what we've, from talking to grad program directors about how many tuition credits grad students use when, we know that our members will have to pay for tuition credits outside of the, the waiver because they'll have to take more than is covered. And again, when you make $12,000 a year, it's not really affordable. Mm-hmm. And uh, okay, great. So let's, uh, let's break it down from here. And uh, so I guess the, the first thing I want to know is that how did MSU react to the, the march last Friday? We're not quite sure yet. Um, we actually had a bargaining session that was happening at the same time as we were marching. Uh, we have another bargaining session planned for tomorrow, so we'll see then how they react. Um, we thought that it was a great turnout. We thought that it was a great event. We thought that it really showed that people are behind us, support what we're standing for, um, support the contract and the union more generally. It was on the very last day of the semester, which is pretty much the most hectic time for everybody involved. So that we had such a great showing and that people were so enthusiastic about coming out, we thought was a good sign. Mm-hmm. How many people, roughly, would you say were at the, the protests? We think from our sign-in sheets, about 250. Okay. Um, so well, would you say that this is an issue more just at Michigan State, or do you think there's a greater issue here, here at a, for graduate uh, employment at other universities. Right. So this is, we feel like this is part of a larger trend. Um, there is a larger trend right now in higher education um, where we see increased numbers of administrators getting paid more and more while faculty or tenure track faculty lines are cut. And we see more and more part-time or contract or adjunct labor being used to teach students on university campuses. We see a greater investment in things like fancy college dorms and entertainment and amusement um, on campus than we do on making sure that class sizes are manageable, that teaching assistants don't have too many uh, students to um, to work with. And we see a kind of an increasing corporatization of higher education. So, um, more and more the university is being run like a business, students are treated as consumers, and we are treated as kind of cogs in the machine that churns out undergrads with bachelor's degrees. From our perspective, which we feel like is a pretty unique one, we're on the front lines with undergrads all the time, we know that if we are that, that if we're not able to provide quality, accessible education to undergrads that MSU will suffer, that society more broadly will suffer. And we really feel like we need to stand up for what's right for our students, but also more generally. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you just mentioned uh, uh, adjuncts. Now, right. could you, I guess, elaborate a little more on, I guess, their role and some of the issues that we're experiencing? Sure. So um, when I say adjunct, I refer to um, academic labor that's not tenure track, not graduate students. These are people with PhDs. Um, right uh, on MSU's campus, they're represented by the Union of Non-Tenure Track Faculty, and their ranks are swelling. More and more adjuncts are being hired to teach, um, teach any old course at MSU and elsewhere. Um, oftentimes, students don't know that they're being taught by an adjunct. Oftentimes, adjuncts have to work at multiple campuses. They work for very little money. They're underpaid, undervalued, um, and yet they provide excellent education for undergrads. Um, but if if things keep going the way they are, that's not sustainable. Um, so we had members from the Union of Non-Tenure Track Faculty at our rally. 
we work quite closely with their union because we do feel like we're all in the same boat. There are a lot of grad students graduating these days, and they are not all going to get tenure-track jobs. They are going to wind up joining the ranks of adjunct labor. Mm-hmm. And I only have a few more questions here today, but um, I guess back on topic of the, the protests, uh, I, I guess what kind of response, and I know you, you mentioned that Michigan State hasn't officially responded yet, but what kind of a response are you hoping to get from the university? What we're hoping is that we come back to the table tomorrow. We're meeting for the rest of this week. We're meeting next week as well. Um, We're hoping that we can have a respectful conversation about priorities at MSU and about how our um, living conditions and working conditions are ultimately in the best interest of a university that that prides itself on its history as a land-grant institution that is accessible, that is diverse, that is inclusive. Um, So we're hoping that our show of force on Friday and um, and in future actions potentially that that these will just help speed things along a little bit and and help us help all of us realize that we're working towards the same thing um, and that we we have a critical mass of people who care about about ensuring that we have a fair contract mm-hmm. and uh you know, where, where's the union moving in the, the future? Are there certain events or certain actions that you have planned out over the next few months or so? Yeah, so we have some um, grade-ins planned for the coming week. Um, we also have a petition. We and have a, Sorry, what, what are grade-ins? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so a grade-in is where we get together and do the work we do as TAs in public so that people can see what we do, so that we can start conversations with people. Um we we also, you know, we know that at this point in the semester, we can't ask our members to take time out of what they usually do to, you know, to do something different for the union. So we're all getting together in the Nisbet building, um, which is where we hold negotiations. And we're going to have coffee and food um, and people can come and, you know, wear their earplugs, do their grading, do their own work um, and just physically show that they are that they are there and that we're holding the university accountable. Um, if anybody wants any more information about the uh, grade ends and other things, you know, the history of bargaining and our future plans, they can go to our bargaining blog, um, which is gradempunion, G-R-A-D-E-M-P-U-N-I-O-N dot blogspot dot com. All right, great. Well, this has been uh, uh, Sylvia Marquise, the president of the Graduate Employees Union. Thank you for coming in today. Thank you. You can follow us on Twitter at impact underscore exposure. Stay up to date with what we do here at the show every week. Up next, we sit down with Judson, uh, Judson Van Wyck and Allison Tobin from the Outdoors Club here at Michigan State. You're tuned into Exposure here on Impact 89 FM. I'm here today with two representatives of the Outdoors Club. Uh, MSU, we've got Allison Tobin and Judson Van Wyk. And uh, how about we just go ahead and uh, introduce ourselves. We can start with you, Judson. Uh, I'm Judson, and I'm an environmental studies and environmental minor and environmental engineering major, uh, sophomore here at MSU. And And how'd you you first get involved with the Outdoors Club? I actually stumbled into them when they were doing the slack line across the river and that was the first day that the police came and <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a start to like a mystery novel or something oh yeah like, <laughs> and uh, and what about you allison um i'm 23 i'm a junior slash senior at msu studying supply chain management in japanese i've been a part of the club for three years on the e-board for two already um and I actually met him the first day he ran into the club when I was trying to, like, sloth my way across the river on the slack line right before the police came and told us that we couldn't do that because we were harming the trees. Um, well, yeah, I, you know, and on, on that topic about harming the trees. So recently uh, there was a meeting uh, discussing hammocking on campus with some university officials along with uh, a couple of rep- representatives of the hammocking club of MSU. And I understand that you were there, right, Judson? Yeah, I was. And uh, so what what took place at that meeting? Um, it was mostly just information being told to us from the representatives. And they were explaining how it could harm the trees. And 
why we can't actually hammock on campus or slackline. Mm-hmm. And uh, how where where does you know the outdoors club really fit in the picture here? Um, the outdoors club fits into the picture because most of us own hammocks, and a good amount of the people that are out using the hammocks on campus are either part of the hammock and club or the outdoors club. Not saying that there aren't people that just you know GDI <laughs> doing their own thing, but um, yeah, it, it's just sort of part of the community here. Sure. So would would you say that most of uh, the outdoor club's members uh, support the ham the hammockers on campus? Um, we have people who support it and people who are very understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, after what we after the information that we were told at the meeting. Even the people that were not so thrilled about it understood. Mm. But the people who still aren't educated about it are still quite mad about it. Sure, sure. And uh, um, from what I understood, because uh, on last week's show we interviewed um, uh, Matt Shalino and Marissa Trupiano, uh, mm-hmm. president and vice president of the, the Hammocken Club, and uh, they mentioned that uh, Paul Schwartz invited uh, multiple different environmental outdoors-related groups to uh, represent themselves at the meeting, but uh, only Outdoors Club and Hammocking Club showed up. Is that true? That is very true. And so do you feel that you might have been a little un- underrepresented? Yeah. Um, apparently the Fisheries and Wildlife Club was also invited and um, a couple other clubs, and mm-hmm. they none of them showed. We had three people from, or actually four people from... Uh, the outdoors club come and two from the hammock and club and mm-hmm. it's basically little kids going talking to their parents <laughs> like parents are gonna win sure you don't sure. have enough people fair enough fair enough and uh so i guess moving moving forward from here what's uh i guess outdoors club next step and you know we're working towards this resolution sounds like the resolution is not hammock on, not hammocking on campus Mm-hmm. Um, the campus is an arboretum and it's used for teaching and some of the tree, they were saying that some of the trees could actually be being used for, uh, research and having a hammock on a tree could completely screw up that research because that's one extra variable that they didn't account for. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want to see scratches on the bark. They don't want anything like that it's 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 almost worse than a conservation like or preservation park Mm -hmm. they want absolutely no harm to it sure sure uh so do you feel that in the future that there might not be any change to this ordinance i actually was talking to them about it Mm -hmm. uh, about how it could change in the future but before it could change i completely understand there would have to be a ban Mm -hmm. all around um, if, if it were brought to attention how to actually hammock safely for the trees and the people, then it could be possibly brought back, but, mm. but for now, without it's... education. <laughs> sure. Sure. All right. So we're, uh, we're going to shift gears here, um, and, you know, move on to summer plans because of course it's finals week here. Uh, only in one week, everyone will be out of here. So. Uh, what's you know what's the outdoors club looking like for the summer? I'll go ahead and answer that. So every summer, uh, regardless if a person is an official member or not, we do have an official Facebook page that hosts over 1,400 members, and people all the time are posting about random trips they're doing, whether it's rock climbing to Grand Ledge or to Devil's Lake, Wisconsin, or if they're camping. Um, if they're going to Colorado. So people are always welcome to join trips and to hop on the bandwagon. Um, and people are staying in East Lansing. And if you're not staying in East Lansing, people are always willing to meet up with other people staying in similar locations. So it's always a good time. Sure, sure. And uh, mm-hmm. how, how many members did you just mention? On the official Facebook page, it might be like 1,400 something. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so, you know, and you mentioned, you know, everyone getting together over the summer, but are there any official like events or activities that the outdoor club that or the outdoors club puts out or is it just more of 
you know, here's everyone that likes being mm-hmm. outdoors. Let's all just get together. Well, every summer it's different, obviously, because like some people graduate, some people stay. Nothing for sure has been planned yet, but it's also not the summer yet. Mm. We still have finals. Right. Um, <laughs> so I think people are focusing on that. But I know for myself, I'm I'm planning like my own like mini trips, um, like North Mantu Island. I'm going to go camping up there. I know I'll probably go to Devil's Lake again, too. And that'll probably like trips that are open for everyone will probably be posted when people if people want to plan a trip, they can plan a trip and they can invite anyone. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned North Manta Island because I rarely ever go camping, but I've been there uh, twice actually. Yeah. The past two years, I'm going for a third time this year. Um, I really like that place. But before I go off on a, a tangent on how mm-hmm. much I love North Manta Island, but um, I guess uh, just for you guys personally, what are what are some of your, I guess, favorite summer activities? I know you you kind of covered what you would be doing this summer, so I mm-hmm. guess what, what what about you, Judson? Um, I live out on Union Lake. Uh, over in West Bloomfield area, mm-hmm. and I love anything to do with water. Sure. I ha- I kayak a good amount. Um, I love camping. I tend to hike everywhere. Mm-hmm. Do you have any favorite campsites that you've been to? I love going up to Marquette. Okay. And just many places around that area, Hogsback and Dead River Falls. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, you know, with students picking up summer jobs... Um, well, uh, during their time off, how how would you encourage students to make time in their schedule to, you know, to get outdoors and uh, not just stay at, at work the entire week? Well, they can't hammock on campus, but thankfully there are other places nearby. <laughs> um, Grand Ledge is 20 minutes away, and it doesn't take very much to become an official member where you can be able to rent out gear to go and try it yourself mm. or ask people to teach you how because Let's be honest, if you've never set up an anchor before for rock climbing, you should probably at least like have someone watch you do it just to make sure, you know, and mm-hmm. like so you can do that. There's Sleepy Hollow that's nearby. Um, even just um like Baker Woodlot, just walk around. You know, you mm-hmm. don't have to do anything crazy to go outside and enjoy nature. Sure, sure. Um mm-hmm. I don't know if you wanted to add anything to that, Justin. Uh also at home, other than just on campus, if you're watching T V, you know, you can save those seasons probably for you know raising or for a rainy day, uh, like today, or, <laughs> like today, or you know even the winter. Mm. Save it for night. But well, I, and uh, I guess on on that note, what? No, how how could you make a good a, a good day out of a rainy day? Just like today, where it's been downpouring the entire time. Like, well, what what would you do to to fight that? They still somehow enjoy the outdoors. But what would you guys do? Well. Personally, I actually like kayaking in the rain. It yeah. is so cool. Or snorkeling in the rain. You can look back up at the water, and it, the sound and the looks are really cool. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to get wet, you're going to get wet. I actually just went for a run today. Running in the rain is fun. Yeah. Um. Yeah. All it's right. not that bad. Yeah. I mean, I maybe I'm just a... I'm looking out the window right now. I, maybe I'm just a pessimistic person, but <laughs> as soon as it starts raining, I'm I'm in, inside under the covers for most of the day. But um, so for anyone that's interested in, in getting involved or wanting to join the Outdoors Club, where can they head to? Um, we have an official website, www.msuoc.org, and there are instructions on what to do if you want to be a member, how to check out gear. Um, we have like a calendar where like we post like official events, but that's mainly for like fall and spring and whatnot. But mm-hmm. um, there's also an eboard page to talk to different eboard members and you can ask them questions and yeah, it's really easy to get involved. Great. Well, this has been uh, Judson and Allison here from the Outdoors Club here at Michigan State. Thank you for coming in today. Thank you. Thank you. You can follow us on Twitter at impact underscore exposure. Now, if uh, it's finals week here at Michigan State, and if you haven't finished yours yet, you might be able to relate to this feature that Quinn Hoffman did. Everyone knows the sound of finals. That was last night's Midnight Scream, a common practice at MSU during finals, because finals can really take their toll. 
Students become antisocials, stress levels skyrocket, and the library turns into a wasteland filled with papers, textbooks, and empty coffee thermoses. It's a week students everywhere dread, out of fear that their procrastination has finally caught up with them, or maybe just the fear of not making it through a really tough course. The university has even accommodated for this week by keeping the library open all night, every day of the week. Last Saturday, I stopped by for a visit to the library at 1 a.m. to see in person this wasteland of student tears and violent cramming. But that wasn't quite what I found. For days. You heard that, right? Laughing. To reiterate, we are in the library at 1 in the morning on a Saturday right before finals, and they were laughing. I mean, they told me things were bad, but they didn't sound all that sad about it. In fact, it seemed like they were all enjoying suffering together. It takes so long to study for it because there's so much material. Our professor's horrible. <laughs> Yesterday we were here till 3 in the morning, and we got here at, like, 5. Don't get me wrong, I totally found some people who were doing it right. In there alone, really upset, truly dreading finals the way you're supposed to. I got my coffee, so I'm not too tired, so might as well be here, you know, study. When I approached those people with my microphone, most of them just gave me a death stare until I walked away, which is what I was expecting from everybody. So I was surprised when I got this. Seriously, <laughs> Okay, and before you ask, no, I'm not saying finals week is some sort of national celebration for students everywhere. There are actually a lot of legitimately bad things that happen during finals. People can get overstressed, sleep deprived. There's even a serious problem with drugs like Adderall. Um, yeah, I've taken Adderall today. I'm pretty alert. <laughs> I could probably stay up for a couple more hours. And obviously there was a lot of caffeine use. But for the most part, from what I saw, people were staying away from the drugs. I don't know, it doesn't seem to help me. I actually have never taken Adderall, not kidding. No. Okay. After this visit, I talked with a philosophy major friend of mine. He had been getting beat down pretty bad for finals, so I asked him why he was cramming so hard. He didn't want to be recorded, but he told me that he'd rather live his whole semester free with everyone and then suffer one horrid week with them too. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe finals are a truly horrifying week and the friends to lean on are the only way we can make it out alive. But if you stay up late in the library this week studying, take a look around. You might be able to see the camaraderie in that suffering that I saw. And that just might make it all worthwhile. For Impact News, I'm Quinn Hoffman. You can follow us on Twitter at Impact underscore Exposure. Up next, we have a feature that originally aired about two months ago back in March called Narrating a New Normal, done by then uh, uh, Impact reporter Audrey Matus. Audrey, and congrats to her, is now the new assistant news director here at Impact 89 FM. Once again, this feature you'll be hearing from her is called Narrating a New Normal. It's 6 a.m. on a freezing Friday morning in February. 55 lethargic MSU students are bundled up inside a Michigan flyer and are about to depart to arguably one of the least exotically named towns in the world, Normal, Illinois. The Midwest Bisexual, Lesbian, Gay, Transgender, Ally College Conference, Mimbletech for short, is the largest LGBTQIA conference in the nation. This year, the conference was hosted by Illinois State University, and to play off the college town's name, the centric idea of this year's conference was narrating a new normal. Uh, what I really enjoy about the conference theme is that for one weekend, we are creating a new normal for 3,000 students who live outside of the box, have to live with their identity in silence, and have to, they have to assimilate. There was a normal library and a normal police department. This small town sort of sits in a category of its own. 
The people of Normal in recent years have actually been really making an effort to promote a more progressive-minded environment, especially in the representation of the LGBTQIA community. Similarly, this Memble Tech Conference is pushing to establish a new normal in the view of gender and sexuality in society, as well as redefining LGBTQ plus membership. Starting with how we introduce ourselves to one another. My name is Michael Gardner. Uh, my preferred pronouns are he, him, his. As well as how we identify. I identify as a queer, fat, femme, polyamorous, pansexual person. And with this notion, I went about the conference asking. How would you define normal? God. I don't know, it's kind of complicated. Like, I feel like it's not really a concept that exists. Anything within one standard deviation of the mean. I don't know, I don't like the definition of normal. I just want to live in an equitable society where people don't have to have those hidden identities. Okay, so it seems like this word that we have packed all this meaning into that determines what is good from what is other has no singular definition when it comes to the people it pertains to. Which may be questioned if a standard of normalcy can even be established in a large group of people, even when that community of people have a similar aspiration for their society. Do you think a new normal needs to be defined or redefined in the LGBT community? Um, yeah, we honestly kind of talked about this in our um, gay uh, identity pan- panel. Um, we We kind of found that gays like to segregate themselves into their own little groups. That's like, Michael Brown, a student from the University of Indiana. Twinks stay with twinks, bears stay with bears, otters with otters, um, things like that. Within the gay community, these terms are used to describe men based on appearance, masculinity, and overall personality. So where the issue comes in, like Michael was saying, is that people begin to only socialize and date with whom they identify with. So we were trying to, you know, think of like maybe more of a community, like stop fighting each other so that we can fight the people we need to fight. We as people have a really bad habit of constructing our perceptions of people by projecting stereotypes on others so we can quickly categorize them into groups and decide if we're cool with them or not, which right away inhibits us from making a unified community. But we like to reduce things into boxes. Natalie Stark is a student at Ohio State University. She loves math as reflected in the various formulas tattooed on her wrist, as well as her femininity. I met Natalie in a discussion panel about the complicated politics of makeup. The big takeaway from this panel for me was that applying makeup goes deeper than beauty, especially in the queer community, as is a tool used for self-expression. This whole discussion introduced me to another group within the LGBTQIA community called Femme. Um, Femme is a term that refers to femininely presented uh, people within the queer community. Like makeup and stuff is traditionally considered very femme, but you don't necessarily have to use makeup or all the time or even ever to be considered femme. So I'm, I'm a trans woman. One of the things that I found very empowering was sort of coming into this identity as someone who is hard femme. It's like it is doing my makeup really fiercely and wearing like jeans and a like ratty t-shirt and that works for me and I like it. A student from Northern Michigan University who presented and led the makeup discussion panel also identifies as femme, among other things. Yeah, my name is Stephanie Vargas Harlan. I use she, her, and hers for my pronouns. I identify as a queer, fat, femme, polyamorous, pansexual person, which is a lot of identifiers there. It's not something that I would normally say outside of a Mimbletech context, um, but in this kind of space I get to use all my identity labels and be really open about them. Stephanie is an activist and goes to college campuses' events like Mimbletech to educate on the complexities of identity, be it through makeup or body type. A queer, fat, femme, polyamorous, pansexual person. Her reasoning for using this string of identities to introduce herself is to show how a person is not just one thing. Things she identifies as all are intertwined and are impacted by the other. Natalie, the hard femme transgender woman I spoke to earlier, says she uses makeup to protect her identity. Yeah, it's definitely a tool. Um, At times, it's armor. Um, There is a lot of oppression um, that trans women have to face, and especially trans women of color. What Natalie is talking about when she says being a femme trans woman of color is especially difficult is similar to why Stephanie is so upfront with her various identities. This concept is called intersectionality, and it is a study of how multiple systems of oppression like racism, transphobia, sexism, etc., are all applicable and can't be examined separately in a case like someone's identity. The intersectionality of being a trans woman of color was a very serious topic at this year's Mimbletech conference. Because 
of trans women of color are dying in droves. There have been, I believe, five murders already this year of trans women of color. In 2015 alone, there has been six reports of trans women homicide in the United States, five of those slain being women of color. And it's an epidemic and it's horrible. Many trans and queer activists of color are unsettled by the lack of attention trans women homicide has had, and not just the media, but from the black community. However, the students of Illinois State, who coordinated this year's conference, made sure to raise this important issue while narrating a new normal. This year's headlining keynote speaker was Laverne Cox, widely known for playing an incarcerated African-American transgender woman named Sophia in the Netflix hit series Orange is the New Black. She is the first trans woman of color to have a leading role on a mainstream scripted television show, and her empowering message of moving beyond gender expectations has made her one of the most influential LGBTQIA figures in the country. Laverne couldn't complete a string of sentences without thousands of snaps and cheers from the enthusiastic audience. What I loved so much about her speech was that I didn't feel like she was just there to get us all rubbed up so we could charge out into the world, lavender blood pumping through our veins. She was educating us. Laverne talked a lot about transphobic crime and gave her own personal examples for why she believes gender is a social construct in our society. Laverne's narration of her journey to womanhood ignited an energy within thousands of college students to make the United States a symbol of progress. Another important theme at the Mimbletech conference was unlearning the phrase, A is for our allies, which was a tagline originally said in a campaign by the LGBTQ rights organization, GLAAD. However, many in the LGBTQ community recognized that emphasizing the role of straight people in the movement only encouraged the marginalization of the smaller, less represented A groups for the asexuals, aromantics, and agender people. So with the new normal that A is for asexual, where does that put the heterosexual cisgender people who want to be part of the community? First, let me explain that cisgender describes a person who identifies as the gender they were assigned at birth. Okay, so do straight people deserve to be included in the LGBTQ plus community? Brittany Henson, a graduate student at ISU, led a discussion group for ally delegates at the conference. To be an ally within the community is really to know the community that you are within. It's to recognize your own privilege. It's to recognize your own biases. Both Students who identified as allies talked about what the role of an ally should be, especially for allies who do not experience oppression regarding their sexual orientation. The young allies use a safe space as an opportunity to express concern for the equality of heterosexual allies within the LGBTQ community. In response, Bernice said that she didn't like to use the term equality. Because that, for me, that means I'm using my privilege and assuming that I know what is best for you, how I can best help you. Instead, I really like the term equitable because it helps me to meet the individual where they are and how I can use my privilege to help that individual person. Because as we learn, every single person within the community has had a different experience based on their identity, based on their life experiences. So what I think to create an equal society may not encompass everybody within the community. Instead, I use my privilege to equitably meet a person where they are. Many straight allies are realizing, hey, this really isn't about us. As a heterosexual, cisgender female, Brittany does not wish to be considered part of the LGBTQIA community. I like how someone said it, to consider myself a branch of the community, because I can, I am an activist. I am a person who uses my voice to give others a voice. But I can pass if I want. I can go through my days if I want and let microaggressions occur to not stand up. And so I think to claim a spot in the community means that I have to fully commit to being an ally. And that's something I'm working on. And so until I get to that point, I will not say I'm part of the community. So in order to make a more unified community, some divisions need to be made on who is in and who's out. For example, a similar approach had to be taken in the black civil rights movement. Dr. King led marches consisting of people of many races. However, the liberal whites who supported and fought for the liberation of African Americans 
did not use that to justify why they should be part of the black community. For the LGBTQ plus community, constructing a new normal that broadens its definitions of gay, defends intersectionalities, and rejects policing within groups, I think heterosexual allies like myself need to take a back seat. By using the privilege allies have in society, we can assist in helping narrate a newer, less constrictive, and more educated normal. I'd like to thank all the MSU Alliance eBoard members for allowing me to go on this special trip, Egan Zimmerman for our assistance in collecting interviews, and all the brave students who are willing to bear their identities for my story. For Impact News, I'm Audrey Matus. To close off the show tonight, we'll be doing another special edition of Michigan Storytellers. Last week, we had Gabrielle Saldivia, our station manager, reflect on her memories here at Impact 89 FM. But tonight, we'll be going to a handful of different seniors here that will be graduating in uh, just a few days, actually. And they'll be talking about family, friends, lovers, everything in between that makes Impact such a comfortable place for so many. Hi, I'm Aaron, and I DJ from 4 to 7 on Fridays here at the Impact. Hi, I'm Brooks Lambeer. I am the sports director at MSU Impact Sports here at Impact 89 FM. I'm Aaron Elke, and I was a DJ and the trading director, and I was here for about three and a half years. Anthony Serafino, Fino, I DJ here on Impact on Tuesdays, and I'm the host of The Pact Monday nights It's from 7 to 8 on WDBM. Hi, my name is Marie Steinbach. I'm the program director here at Impact 89 FM. Uh, my name is Shelby Doyle. I'm the marketing director, and I've been working at Impact for almost three years now. Hello, my name is Gabriella Saldivia, and I am the station manager here at Impact 89 FM. I'm just going to miss uh, coming into work every day and having my friends here. Um, I live with two people from the Impact, so it's really close to heart being able to walk in, and everyone's so happy to see you. You walk in, you kind of um, you know, catch up with everyone. What's the latest? What's the haps? You know, you, you get your cup of coffee and you walk around to everybody's office and you see, uh, you know, if they're feeling okay and, and whatever. But I think just having a bad day, uh, you come down in this basement, ironically, and it can just make you feel so much better. Everyone's really close here. Um, there's a really great culture of, um, you know, people just visiting each other during the day in their offices, just stopping and talking about whatever. It's been pretty much every time I've been here, I've shared a meaningful moment. Really, the last time was today after I did my last drop, uh, went and gave uh, Caitlin Bohm, the desk receptionist, a hug. Um, the, day I, the day after I broke my finger, um, I was trying to figure out how to write. It was on my dominant hand, my left hand. I couldn't really write that well with the splint on, so... I was like thinking, maybe I'll just take it off. And she said, you just broke that yesterday. I'll come in and do all your meeting, meter readings for you, fill out all your logs, whatever you need me to write, I will do it for you. And it was her going above and beyond like that that really stuck out to me. And she's just absolutely a great friend in general. Well, I was training director here at The Impact. And that means that I kind of met everybody that came in that wanted to volunteer and um this one guy kind of stuck out to me, and we were really professional at first, but uh, then we kind of kind of started to talk outside of work, um, and this was two and a half years ago, and now he and I have been going strong, and we, uh, yeah, are in a relationship. So uh, I met my boyfriend here at Impact, um, and actually I think somebody, I heard a couple alumni, we had our first Impact wedding. So yeah, I've met great friends here, long-lasting friends and even a romantic relationship, so. Um, I could just go in that office and just pour my life out, and they would just be there to listen. And they wouldn't say anything. I was just like, hey, can you just listen? Two people right there, Aaron Elke, Marie Steinbach, are just two people I just, I can't say enough. I can't, I'm a man of many words, but you know what? I, I can't even think about the amount of superlatives that they deserve and the amount of credit and praise they get. There are two big reasons why I've stuck here for so long and I've made the connections with other people. They've allowed me to do that. And you know what? No matter what I can do in life, they cannot, I cannot give those, I cannot give them what they've given me, simply put. Galafino, he was a riot and he was a party every time. And Stephen Rich. And, oh, God, I'm going to forget someone. 
Just can I name like everyone in our staff directory? I feel like it's pretty much anytime when Brooke Jefferson or I, and I went on the air or Aaron Elke and I went on the air, her, they we, her, those two and I would always have such a great time when we would do drops together. Um, I, I can't really pick out a time, but I just always know that I, they, they never had, had me not laughing on the air. I think I'll, what I'll miss most about the impact is getting to know everyone here that I've worked with. It's a very nice and relaxed place. I've, you know, I worked at the state news and that was very uptight and it's something I didn't enjoy because I didn't really fit in. I feel like here I fit in with a lot of people. Um, I just think I'm going to miss the camaraderie I share with a lot of people here. Uh, even though maybe I haven't made any best friends here, but I really enjoyed, you know, the people I work with, the sports directors, you know, Alexa and Heiger, and then getting to know Sharg and Yales and Fino and Faith and, you know, Andrew Hayes. Uh, I think the most important thing I've taken away from working here is learning what I want in an employer and what I value in an employer because um, I might not necessarily want to go into music business, um, but the impact has showed me that I really value um, an employer that's involved in the community and that has a really strong culture with really unique individuals who are collaborative and um working together all the time. I'm really going to miss the people here, both um, in the studio, in the station, and those that I've talked to on the air. There are certain people that have called in, uh, Roger and Aaron, not Aaron Alke, but a different Aaron, who um, really I feel like I've um, made a connection with one way or another. Just by them calling in each week, we would have conversations um, over the phone while they were telling me what music they wanted to hear. Um, and I'm really going to miss being able to have that type of connection with the listener. Um, so my uncle actually listened in every single week. And it just so happened that the last week that I was here that I was DJing was also the week of his funeral. So I had like the most emotional last drop ever and I made it out to him. So uh, that's probably why another reason why I'm very uh, anxious to go on air at Town Square is because I had the most perfect last drop on air. I think it was when I was in uh, my bike accident and Gabby, um, the station manager, was there, coincidentally. Um, but I just, just distinctively remember her being there. Um, and then her and Ed came to the ER afterwards, too, um, which is something... I mean, I've always valued them as people, but it's kind of just solidified that, you know, they're not only great bosses, but also just like great people that are important in my life. I'm going to miss the people the most, um, especially Ed. He's been someone that I've grown to get to know um, super well in the last year, especially, but before that. And he's like been the best boss. Um, I couldn't imagine a better boss to have and to learn from. My best advice is to anyone that's listening to this on the station, it's just take every moment and just take it to heart because you know what? I wish I can go back and just get one more shot in the broom ball core or on the broom ball ice or just one more, that one last drop. You know, you don't realize how much you love something until it's gone. Impact is so underrated because you won't miss it until you're gone. And I'm finally realizing now that I'm graduating next week, impacts the place. Gonna miss this place a lot. I don't know any other way to put it besides this was home and I just had to leave it. And it was like leaving for college all over again. And then I just had to start somewhere new. And it was just very different. I will really miss feeling comfortable here. And I know I'm going to really miss it when I leave because it, no, I don't think any place will ever feel like this, like the impact has to me. Thank you to all of our seniors that participated in the special edition of Michigan Storytellers. All episodes of Exposure can be found online at impact89fm.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at impact underscore exposure to keep up to date with all the features, interviews, etc. that we put out on a weekly basis. Special thanks to our general manager, Ed Glazer, our station manager, Gabriela Saldivia, and our producer, Quinn Hoffman. And a very special thank you to all the seniors again for, for uh, participating in tonight's Michigan Storytellers. Congrats on graduating, and I hope the very best for your future. You've been listening to Exposure, Michigan State's student-run news program, with your host, Daniel Rizal, signing off 
for my last exposure episode for the foreseeable future. Thank you, and good night. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, you've been listening to Impact Exposure. Impact Exposure.